Isaiah says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon the throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. And above him stood the seraphim, each had six wings, and with two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And he called one to one another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts, the whole earth is filled with his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken from the, or with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips, your guilt is taken away, and your sin is atoned for. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? Then I said, Here I am, send me. Okay, so aside from the picture of a seraphim with the six wings and all the stuff going on, this is a beautiful picture of somebody who is getting ready to go into a new season of life. And they're kind of recognizing, man, I do not feel prepared. I do not feel ready for this. And you have God saying, I got you. I will take care of you. And I will send you out to go do whatever it is I have you to do. Um, for both of you guys, it's been special to get to see y'all and to get to just watch your stories. Um, Charlotte, and I, or yeah, Charlotte, I know we've gotten to, I know I'm looking at Elsa saying Charlotte. I know we've gotten to grow up with you and your girls here in the church. This is, it's, it's a very special time for all of us this morning, guys, is, as we get to see that God does, he gives us different seasons and he gives us different charges in these different seasons to go and to do likewise. So for you guys this morning, Abigail has two books that we wanted to share with you um, just as a little present, a little commissioning for you guys. Parker, for you, we, we have this one, What If Jesus Was Serious? Um, the reason this one is just because the seasons that you guys endeavor into usually come with a lot of questions. Um, that's been one of the books that I usually come back to to say, okay, uh, you know, I, I don't really know exactly where I'm going, but if I really did believe this Jesus, then what does this mean for me? And then Elsa, for you, we have You Are the Girl for the Job. Um, this is one that comes highly recommended for Abigail. Just, again, as you're moving into new seasons, just be refreshed and be encouraged of the foundation that you guys have here. So thank you, guys. This is special. So, yeah, thank you, guys. Just be sure to catch him real quick after the service and, I don't know, give him a hug, give him a... It's about to say a squeeze, but maybe don't do that. Just give him a hug. Oh. Oh, yeah. Guys, I am, I'm particularly grateful that you're with us here this morning because I'll, I'll tell you, I mean, there, are, there are some weeks we're getting ready uh, for Sunday mornings just feels like a breeze, and then there's other weeks where it's, it is not easy. Um, and for me, this was one of those weeks where it was not easy. Uh, in particular... I don't know. I, we, last week we were talking about our need to trust God, right? And we were talking about how what God is after in his people is getting us to trust him. And then once we're in this place of trusting him, right, which, you know, traditionally we use the language of putting our faith in Jesus. When we're trusting him, 
then he's able to come in and reconcile, redeem, restore, transform all these, these things that we want to see. And, and then you think about, okay, I, I had to zoom out a little bit this week and go, so what is, what's taking place in our world around us? You know, I just preached a message about how much we need to trust God. And then you look at some of the things that have happened over the past two weeks and you go, oh, man, you know what? How in the world do you, do you talk about trusting God in light of all these things that have been taking place? Um, just to reference a couple of them so, you, you know, when you hear all these things, it, it, two weeks ago, there was a, a mass shooting at a grocery store in Buffalo, New York. There's a young man that targeted an African-American community and went there and took the lives of, I believe it was at least 10. One, one of my coworkers at Blacksburg Transit was telling me this because he said it was the grocery store that's literally a two-minute walk from where his grandmother lived that he grew up going to that store. He said they had the best fried chicken in the area. Um, and he said his mom still takes his grandmother there. So the, just thank God that it wasn't a day that he had his grandmother there, but just a, a horrific act. And then, then this week we also had the mass shooting at the elementary school in Texas that, that you guys had probably heard more about, where you have another young man that opened fire in a school. This time it wasn't older people. This time it was children. And there were 19 of them plus two adults at least that we know of that were, that were killed. And on Monday, kind of sandwiched between the two of these, and I don't know if, if you guys have heard so much about this, but the last year at the annual meeting, the Southern Baptist Convention voted to approve of a group to come in and kind of investigate their practices regarding um, claims of sexual abuse. They said, we've, we've heard some rumblings that this is going on, so we want somebody to come in and tell us, like, have we been missing anything and the report, it took seven months to compile lots of investigations. It was released on Monday. Um, it was not good. Um, senior me members of the convention leadership, they've been covering up hundreds, uh, if not into the thousands, of, of either allegations or convictions of sexual abuse that's taken place in Southern Baptist churches over the, just the past 20 years. Um, sometimes it's been ministry leaders, sometimes it's been professors of seminaries, sometimes it's been like big names in the convention that you may, um, you may have heard. And not only were they covering up, but because of that, they allowed over 400 convicted pastors and leaders to stay in spiritual leadership positions with all these allegations that the, the report determined about 90% of them were, were 100 per, credible, right? So you see that going on in the world. And then you go, and then I go back to last week and go, I just, I just preached on how much we desperately need to trust God. And then all this news, which, which one of my coworkers texted me this week, he's not a Christ follower, and specifically in relation to the incident in Texas, he said, how do you pass along the idea that something like what happened in Texas is how a God of love and care for others allows it to be? Okay, And I realized that that is... That is a question that you hear everybody right now wrestling with. How, how can these things happen? Why would God, we say, allow? Why would he allow these things to take place? Um, guys, my, my very short and honest answer is I don't, 
I don't know. Okay. I, I end up having to come to the point this week where I go, if, if God is as big and infinite and majestic and holy as he says he is, then I probably will not be able to know why he may or may not have something happen in his world. And I started to think about, okay, let's put this in context of trust, which is where we've been the past few weeks in Exodus. How do you, how do you fit these two pieces together? Um, and this is, this is just a thought, but I believe this has been where we've been in the word and how these things fit together. If you think about where we've been the past couple weeks in Exodus, just to recap for those of you who may have been out for traveling or whatever reasons. In chapter 20, we saw how we were made as the people of God for a covenant relationship with him. Chapter 21, God values us for who we are, not what we do, right? He, he told us, your inherent worth to me is because you bear my image. It's not because of whether you're doing or not doing something. We start right here. You are mine. You bear my image. This is why you're worth something to me. Chapter 22, we saw God call us to live in the center of this already not yet tension. It's one of my favorite tensions in Scripture where God says, already you are my people, but you, you haven't even scratched the surface of who I am. Already you are mine, but not yet do you truly know all of who I am. And he calls us to live in the middle of this, to say, stand convinced and confirmed and encouraged and strong in the fact that you are my people and stand equally humbled and moldable at the fact that you do not know all of who I am yet. And in chapter 23, last Sunday, we said, hey, living in the center of this is, is trust, right? Trusting we are God's, trusting he is still doing a work within us, and that as we trust him, he reconciles and transforms. So, so church, I started thinking, if what God is after is trust, if you're going to genuinely trust something, there's also got to be room to distrust something. And I think, guys, if, if we look right at the very beginning of the word, we see that that was very true at the beginning when God made us. When God made man, he, he told us this is who we are. He says, this is, you bear my image, and, and here's what that looks like. Be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, subdue it. And we also see that the moment that we didn't trust God, death and destruction entered the picture. And it's this trust that we've seen in Exodus, what God is after. And I, and I went back and reread through Genesis, and you see God is after the same thing in the garden. Because the very first thing he does when he comes to find us after we've, we've distrusted him is he doesn't call out Adam and Eve for what they did. He goes to them and he said, who told you? Who told you not to trust me anymore? Who, who told you you could to go do something likewise? He which I love because, again, it fits with what we've been saying. He's not valuing us based off of what we're doing or not doing, but off of how we're bearing his image. God is coming to his people saying, who told you not to trust me? I told you who you were. I told you to trust me, and I would work things out in you. Who told you not to do that? And, guys, the second that we stepped out of that trust, death and destruction had followed. It's been, it's been heavy on me this week just to see, yeah, we are, we are capable. We are capable of death and destruction on a large scale. And, and I don't know why, why God would allow it. 
I know knowing the character of God that allowing something to happen is not the same as sanctioning, right, or condoning something to happen. I have to trust that if God's image is being oppressed and being destroyed on earth, that it grieves God far more than it would ever grieve me, even though we are grieving. And even though our tendency is to say, God, why would you allow this? Guys, God is the one who can restore, who can redeem. If we don't have that, then we don't have any kind of conclusion. We don't have any kind of reconciliation. All we have is brokenness. So if, if what we talked about last week in God being after trust, if that is such a crucial part of the picture to understanding how, how do we just make sense of what is going in our world around us, then I think it's a fair question for us to say, what does it look like for us to trust God? And just God is amazing in the way he works these out. But this is where we land in the narrative of Exodus this morning. That is, we're going to read through chapter 24 today, guys, which is what I had already planned on teaching. But it is, it is a beautiful picture of God teaching his people, this is what it looks like to trust me. I told you last week you need to trust me. Here's what it looks like to trust me. So we are... I mean, just praise God that he meets us in our wrestling and, and gives us his word, shares with us his testimony, and just allows us to see this. So we are in Exodus chapter 24. We're going to begin in verse 1. We're going to hit the whole chapter today. It says, Then he, God, said to Moses, Come up to the Lord, you and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, and seventy of the elders of Israel, and worship from afar. And Moses alone shall come near the Lord, but the others shall not come near, and the people shall not come up with him. Moses came and told the people all the words of the Lord and all the rules. And the people answered with one voice and said, All the words that the Lord has spoken we will do. And Moses wrote down all the words of the Lord. And he rose early in the morning and built an altar at the foot of the mountain and twelve pillars according to the twelve tribes of Israel. And he sent young men of the people of Israel who offered burnt offerings and sacrificed peace offerings of oxen to the Lord. And Moses took half of the blood and put it in the basins, and half of the blood he threw against the altar. Then he took the book of the covenant, and he read it in the hearing of the people. And they said, All that the Lord has spoken we will do, and we will be obedient. And Moses took the blood, and he threw it on the people. And he said, Behold, the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words. Then Moses and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, and 70 of the elders of Israel went up, and they saw the God of Israel. There was under his feet as if it were a pavement of sapphire stone, like the very heaven for clearness. And he did not lay his hand on the chief men of the people of Israel. They beheld God, and they ate, and they drank. This is the holy picnic I was talking about last week. Just this, this crazy picture of God having a picnic with his people. Amazing. They ate, and they drank. Verse 12, the Lord said to Moses, come up to me on the mountain and wait there that I may give you the tablets of stone with the law and the commandment, which I have written for their instruction. So Moses rose with his assistant Joshua and Moses went up into the mountain of God. And he said to the elders, wait here for us until we return to you. And behold, Aaron and Hur are with you. Whoever has a dispute, let him go to them. Then Moses went up on the mountain and the cloud covered the mountain. The glory of the Lord dwelt on Mount Sinai, and the cloud covered it six days. And on the seventh day, he called Moses out of the midst of the cloud. Now the appearance of the glory of the Lord was like a devouring fire on the top of the mountain in the sight of the people of Israel. Moses entered the cloud 
and went up on the mountain. And Moses was on the mountain 40 days and 40 nights. Father, as we turn to your word this morning, God, we acknowledge that you, you have called us to trust you. And God, that is a really difficult thing for us to do. God, it's really difficult to trust when we are hurting, uh, whether we, it's we ourselves or people around us, whether it's, it's our friends or our neighbors. Father, it's, it is really hard for us to reconcile hurt and trust together. So, Father, as we walk through your word this morning, we, and we get to see this beautiful fit picture in the middle of the law of you being with your people, Father, may we be reminded of who we are to you, Father, of what you desire of us. God, remind us of what you have called us to do as we are to be trusting you with our lives. It is in your holy name we pray. Amen. Guys, the first part of our main point, just simply that trusting God leads us to adopt his image as our own. You've heard me use the language of imagery a lot in Exodus, that God is after his image. He's desiring his people to bear his image. So this should not be anything totally new, but we see very clearly on display when God is showing his people what it is to trust him, man, this image language comes right back into the, into the picture. If you look down at verses 1 through 3, you see God calls Moses and all of Israel's leaders and all of Israel together, and he calls them to worship him, uh, but he... Tells them to stay at a distance. That's for Israel's benefit, right? They're not fully made right with God yet. So God says, you stay a little bit afar from me, but I want you to worship. And he sets Moses aside to tell Israel all the words of the Lord and all the rules. Moses does this, and we see this statement wonderful in verse 3. All the words that the Lord has spoken, we will do. This is Israel's response to God. And, and I think... And I've told you guys, there's just sometimes our English just does not do justice to what, what God is saying through his people here. When, when we hear Israel saying, oh, yeah, we'll do all the words that you told us to do, it, it sounds very much like a, here's what I want you to do, now go do it. The Hebrew language here gives us this picture of God not just, again, what we've been saying for the past couple weeks in Exodus, God not just trying to get us to do something but revealing himself to us so that we take on his life, church. So when they are saying, all the words that the Lord has spoken, we will do, what they're saying is, God, everything you have told us about yourself, we want that. Essentially what they're saying is, God, who you have shown us to be, that we're going to be. All you've showed us to be, that we're going to be. And what a, what a powerful declaration for the entire nation of Israel to get together and say, everything you have shown us to be God, we want that. We are going to go be that. Is this picture of a, a God, we trust you. We are going to live as you've called us to. Verses 4 through 7, after writing down Moses he writes down all these laws and he makes sacrifices on behalf of the people. So now they actually can kind of move closer into his presence. He reads the law back to them. They again declare all that the Lord has spoken we will do. And they add a phrase at the end, and we will be obedient in verse 7. And the, that phrase adds another layer to this. Okay, They've started off by saying, God, everything you have shown us up until this point about who you are, we will be that. But now they say, and we will 
be obedient. Speaking about the future. Saying, God, I know you've taught us a lot about who you are and we are going to be this. But I also know you're going to continue to teach us about who you are. And so as we continue to learn, we're going to continue to be that. And if you guys remember the past couple of chapters, you're seeing it, it is this already not yet language going on. God, we have already seen you. We already know things about you. We are going to go do this. God, we have not yet got the full picture. So we are going to commit not just to what we know, but to continuing, to growing, to trusting that as we know more about you, God, we're going to keep being you. We're going to keep being you before the world. Then you look down at verses 12 through 18, and God continues to clue us into this long-term work of adopting his nature as our own when he calls Moses to come up to the mountain so that he can give, it says in verse 12, give him the law for Israel's instruction. I love this, okay? The, the verb there, instruction, it means to teach. It also means to direct a flow of water. It also means to shoot an arrow. So any, any of us that, you know, I'm like, ah, teaching, is, is that, that seems like such a boring job. Right here we're equating teaching with directing water and shooting a bow and arrow, okay? Something big in the Hebrew is going on here. And God is saying, when I'm giving you my instruction, I am not just telling you to go do something. I have an intentional direction and a goal that I'm taking you with. Right? You think about why somebody would choose to control water. We want to send it in an intentional direction because we have some goal. Right? We put a dam there. We make electricity. Uh, we want to fish there, so we put a dam. We stock it with fish. Same thing with shooting an arrow. Right? You shoot an arrow. An arrow's got an intentional direction, uh, hopefully towards a target right, that you're aiming at. It's, it's a picture of God saying, I'm going to give you this law, Moses, to give to my people so that you are continually drawing them in in this direction of taking on my image. And so as we've been doing the past couple chapters of Exodus, we say, okay, okay, I can see this in Exodus. Is this elsewhere in the scriptures? And oh yeah, oh yeah, it is. Oh yeah, as we are seeing God work with his people through Moses, we see the exact same thing, God working through us in Christ. You think about what Christ called his disciples to do. He said, come follow me. I, ha I have an intentional direction and an end goal that I want you to come with me. He says, come, follow me. They understood this is, this is me leaving aside everything, God, that you've maybe put in front of me. I'm leaving aside my friends, my family, my possessions. What, whatever it is, God, I, I want to live with you. I want to learn to take your image as my own. When Christ gives the disciples the Great Commission, he told them to teach them to obey all that I have commanded. Again, our English, we see obey. We're thinking more, I guess, kind of didactically, like God tells me to do it, I'm going to go do it. And again, in the Greek, the verb there is tereo, meaning to observe and to keep. God is saying, all that I have taught you, teach others to keep it and teach others to observe it, to watch and to make it your own. In essence, he's saying to pay attention to my image and to make that image yours. The same picture, same picture. So guys, as we talk about what does it mean for us to trust God, what God is after in his people is that they are becoming his image bearers. So for you and I, we, we are 
we are adopting God's image as our own. We are slowly learning to say, okay, God, there's things about me that don't look like you. God, take that away because I, I, want, I want the world to see you when they see me is, is how I've heard it put. But we're also clued in, this is, this is only half of the picture, okay? That, that yes, this is what God is after when he's teaching his people to trust, but there is, there is another piece to this. I, and you guys have kind of heard me circling it around it where we say, okay, God is not just telling us to go and to do something, but he's, he's drawing us in. If you reread the chapter, you realize that the language that God is using with his people, man, this just... This just comes into the forefront so much. So when we talk about trusting God, we want to adopt his image as our own first and foremost. But the second thing we do, guys, we live life in his presence. There's not a check-in, check-out mentality when it comes to faith. There's not a, I'm going I'm to go into my communities of faith, my small groups, my church, I'm going to get, and I'm going to go and I'm going to step into like the other parts of my life where God isn't I, I mean there, there is there is no separation here okay this is the language that God uses with his people if you look at verses 1 through 11 again you start to see there's a there's a journey of getting closer to God that is taking place God starts by sending the people saying okay come worship me but you gotta stay at a distance right you're not totally right with me I want you to be right with me but you're not there yet so he has them stay away so that they first commit to the covenant, then Moses offers sacrifices, then Moses reads the covenant again. They say, okay, again, God, we get it. We will do this, and we will do this for the future. And it is only after all of this that then Moses sprinkles the blood over the people. I thought about bringing a water bottle and trying to, like, sprinkle you guys this morning, but some of you, you guys sit in the back. There's no way I'm going to be able to get back there without you know, chucking a water bottle, and I don't, I don't want to hit anybody. But it's, it's a picture of Moses saying, after all of this, now you're right. Now you are right with God. And after this, after all of this has taken place, we see, we see this heavenly picnic. God draws them into his presence. Verse 11, they did not lay his, he did not lay his hand on the chief men, but they beheld God. They ate and they drank. Man. I, I mean, I would, I would love that. Right? Wouldn't, it, wouldn't it be amazing to just get to, to spread your blanket out, to pull all the food out of the basket, and just sit there in the presence of God? The progression shows us, man, as they're declaring their trust, as they're taking God's image on as their own, God is drawing them in, and we get to this point where, man, they are in his presence. They are with him. They are sharing a meal together. And and. The way the Hebrew world understood meals, man, this would have been like their holy grail. They would have been like, that is what we want. You, you and I don't typically think about meals the same way the Hebrew culture did. If you guys are like me, meals are, they're interruptions, right? We have things that we're doing in our day. We have work we're trying to accomplish. Suddenly the clock hits 12 and we're like, oh, okay. I have to find a stopping point. I'm going to have to go eat. And then, then I can get it back to actually what matters, right? This, this work that I'm doing. Uh, sometimes you guys maybe just, if you're like my father, you skip meals. Because you're just like, it's, it's not that big of a deal, right? Meals have kind of lost their weight with us. Not so in the Hebrew world. Two things about meals, guys. 
for the Hebrews, for the Israelites, they did not eat with people that they were not at peace with. If, if, they, if they were in the middle of an argument, if they weren't reconciled to somebody, it, maybe it sounds passive-aggressive to us, but the way that you could tell is they would not eat with them until they had made things right. The fact that God is eating a meal with his people is telling Israel, oh my gosh, God considers us to be right with him. And if that is not what we are working towards, church, I, I, don't, I don't know what is, but... God is telling his people, you're right, you're okay, you are at peace with me. Meals also symbolize dwelling, right? It's not an interruption. It's not a distraction of something that's taking place of what you'd actually want to do. No, it it is a bond of fellowship and unity. So God's showing his people, as as you are learning to take on my image as your own, I'm not just having you go do this, right? I'm not not showing you who I am so you can go do this independently of me. God's saying, I'm showing you who I am so you can learn to bear my image and do this with me. This, This picture that is all throughout scripture. And I love in verses 12 through 18, God's even showing the rest of Israel, because not all of them are getting to sit in on this picnic. He says that... This is not just something I've reserved for a select few. This is something I'm calling all of you guys into doing. And we see this in verse 16 when you see this this curious little detail that Moses was in the cloud for six days and he was called out on the seventh. If you think back to the past couple weeks we've been walking through Exodus, what do you remember about a pattern of doing something for six days and then a, a change or a rest taking place on the 7th. I honestly can't remember whether it was last week or two weeks ago, but, but this is the Sabbath, right? And we talked about how God gave us the Sabbath as a way of reminding us God is not after our production worth. That's not how he sees us. He is after his image within us. This is how he values us. So when, when Moses is away for six days and he comes back on the 7th, it's, it's telling the people of Israel, oh, So God wants us to actually be with him. God is not giving us this law. He's not giving us this for us to just go and do this independently of him. He actually wants us to be with him. Same picture in Christ. At the outset of Christ's ministry, you just love how Christ is so patient with the disciples. He teaches them who he is. And he shows them some miracles to prove I am who I say I am. And then as they start to understand a little bit better, he starts to let them go, and he sends them out to do likewise. And then I love, there's, there's a point in the Gospel of Luke where you see Jesus actually calls them all back to be with him. It's almost as if he was saying, I've, I've trained you and I've sent you out, but I didn't send you out to do this independently of me. I've called you back so we could talk about what, what, are you, what did you learn? What did you see? Yeah, you've been called to go bear my image. What did, how did that look like? like? Jesus did not give us the call to make disciples and to live this, this life of faith apart from him. Like we receive our salvation, now we go do something with it. God has called us to bear his image by living in his presence. And then later, Christ even prepares them for the time where he's not going to be with them. And they're going, but, but Jesus, if you want us to live with you, why would, why would you leave us? And he says, something better is coming, that my spirit will be poured out into you. Church, if, if you and I have, have received salvation, if we have trusted 
God, if he, if he is indeed the Lord and the Savior of our lives, we have his spirit dwelling within us, this, this better picture that God has been showing. Right, that, that we are actually capable of living life in his presence because his presence dwells within us. It's, it's amazing. It's amazing to see what is taking place here in Exodus. Is, is, man, this is what God is after. So guys, when we think about what does it look like for us to trust God, what we are doing practically is we are, we are adopting God's image as our own, Right? We're, we're taking what we know of God and we're taking that as, as our life. And we are living life in his presence. We're not just trying to learn so we can go do apart from him. As we are growing, we, we are getting to, to be drawn into this life with him. So what does this mean for us, church families, we, as we wind down this morning? What does this mean for us? I think it means two big things. First is that adopting God's image requires a personal and a corporate kind of submission to the Spirit. We see we've talked about this earlier in our vision in our vision work, uh, but but you see both of them here in verse three. You see Israel says all the words that the Lord has spoken we will do right deeply personal. God, all of who you have shown us to be, we want that. We will go do that. Right before it, it says in verse 3, and all the people answered with one voice. So this is not just a bunch of collective individuals committing to something. The, the whole nation was committed to this. Church family, deeply personal, deeply corporate. What we've been seeing in the law is that God, again, is he's giving the law to his people. He's, he's getting their individual and their corporate submission to him. And, and I think it is when we hear the, the language of the nation submitting to God and we hear the language of like, oh, God is, is getting the corporate response, I, I think we, we tend to think more along the lines of those who don't know God yet, right? That, that our goal is to take the law so that the other nations would follow his law. And I just want to pause and remind you guys, we have We've not seen that. We've not seen that pattern in Exodus yet. God is telling Israel, as you, my people, for us, the church, as you are trusting me, the world will know who I am. Instead of taking my law, Israel, and forcing the other nations who have no clue who I am to just look like me, Israel, you reflect me. You bear my image. You live life in my presence. And as you do this, Israel, the world, the world will see and the world will know. This is echoed in what Christ tells his disciples in John 13, 35. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Theologians love to wrestle with this because we're like, well, what, is it, what does it look like to love, right, as God loves? We say, well, does that just mean <coughs> accepting everything? And does it mean tolerating? We, we know what it means. If you've ever been to a, a wedding ceremony, you've probably heard 1 Corinthians 13 read, where God says, this is what it looks like. This is what my love looks like. It says, my love is patient. 
It is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It does not keep track of wrongs. It does not delight in evil. It does rejoice in the truth. It does protect. It always trusts. It always hopes. It always perseveres. Church, when our world walks through crises like we have in the past two weeks and they look at the Christian church, what do they see? Okay, do they see us responding with this, this love of God, which reflects us trusting God, which reflects us bearing his image, or do they see something else? We, we get so easily angered and upset with those people at what they did. We get easily angered. We're willing to put others down to advance our own interests. We, we treat others how they've treated us in the past. And in the case of a convention leadership, we cover up evil. We distort the truth. We say, no, 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 that's not the big deal. The big deal we have to focus on is over here because we're attempting to protect ourselves, our pride, our image, church. That is not, please hear me, that is not the love of God. That is not trusting God. That is not the image of our God. What we see in Israel is this commitment to, okay, I want, God, I want your image to be in my life. God, I want to be living life with you. All the individuals together saying, yeah, we're for that. We are for that. That is what we want here at New River Fellowship, guys. We want to see each of us commit to that. We want to see us committed to that together as a church. We want to be patient, kind, protecting, trusting those who have been deeply hurt because we know we have a God. We serve a God who heals. We want to be slow to anger and quick to listen because we know our, our God reconciles. Right? It, we, he's, working, he's working this out. Guys, we, we want to be able to lay down you know, our opinions and our beliefs because we want to let God transform us into our image. God, what we know of you now, we want that. God, whatever you're going to show us later, we want that as well. And the second thing, guys, that it means for us this morning, living in God's presence leads us to enter into our neighbor's world. That if we are going to be in God's presence, we also got to be with our neighbors. A perfect example of this. Uh, some of you guys may know my, my other job 20 hours a week is working at Blacksburg Transit. Um, it, is, it is my job as a trainer to teach people who have never driven anything larger than a minivan to go drive a 60-foot bus 40 miles an hour down Price's Fork in rush hour traffic with 100 people on there, okay? It, you can't get to that point. We could get you there in a month and a half. We're hiring. Um, anyways, I, there's a part of that job that requires being critical of other people's driving. And I want you to know, if you ever let me ride in the car with you, I will not, there will be no backseat driving. I will not be critiquing the way that you drive. But know that when I drive my car, I am very active in critiquing other people's driving, um, as Abigail can attest. And my mom would call this out in me by saying, but Jordan, what if it was Mrs. Morris that was driving? Mrs. Morris is my, my cousin's grandmother, okay? What, what if it was this, this dear older lady that we all love dearly and she just happened to make a mistake, right? It, what she was attempting, it, and you know, grouchy Jordan's like, well, the Mrs. Morris should not be driving, okay? But that is not the response my mom was trying to invoke in me. What, what she was doing is saying, look, if you could see the humanity and what is going on and what is taking place, if you could see the person that is there, there's something inherently diffusing about that, okay? The, 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 the more distant 
we remain for one another. We are justified to be upset. I'm like, I don't know who's driving that car. All I know is what they're doing is terrible. And thank God it hasn't been somebody I've known yet, although I'm sure now that we're living in this area, that's, that's likely. But it is the more distant we stay from people, the easier it is for us to be mad at them. It's same, same way with our relationship with God. The more we stay distant from him, the more we just, we just don't understand him, the more we get frustrated with him. The, it, it's the same principle, guys. And I love that God's heart for his people, I mean, look at this. It, what has Israel done to deserve being the chosen people of God? Right? What has Israel done to warrant God saying, Ooh, that looks like the people I want to make my name in on the earth? Right? They haven't done a thing to warrant that. In fact, in this chapter, we see God telling them to stay a little bit away because they're not right with Him. But you see, as God is doing this, He is pulling them into His presence so that as they are getting closer to Him, they start to see themselves as he sees them. They start to see what he has in store for them. And in this chapter, we see they declare, we want this, God. So for you and I, with, we are not going to be a people that get angry at those people. We are going to be a, a church family that enters into our neighbor's world because, guys, the closer we get to one another, we realize, man, we, we need God. We need him in our lives. We need him in our world. And, and so, guys, we are, we, are, we are doing our best to try to reflect this in the ministries and stuff that we do here. This is why uh, one of the, the new ministries we started in February is our Connections Ministry. This is why we also started our community groups back in February, right? Intentional times and spaces for us to be gathered together centered on Christ, and so I want to encourage you, if, if you've been coming to our church and you're thinking, okay, what do I need to do practically to take these steps of adopting God's image as our own and trusting him? A great place to start. Come to one of the community groups. Start serving with us on our connections ministry, okay? Wonderful, wonderful places to begin. This is why we've continued our prayer ministry. There, there's a team of people that meet every single week in the other building right before service. And sometimes it just continues all the way through service, right? Praying for us because it is really difficult for us to stay mad at people when we are going before God going before the throne praying for them praying for us so if you want to take that next step of going deeper I encourage you guys come join the prayer ministry this is why we're, we're partnered with agape right agape helps us build relationships with those who are hurting in our community getting to get to know them getting to serve to meet their needs but also getting to mentor like we're spending quality time, life together with them. Guys, the, the setup for Agape really helps us do this. This is why we stay partnered with them. And, and guys, I encourage you, if you want to get active in our church, come join Agape as well. All of this, guys, is, is trying to fit underneath our, our mission, our vision, our values that we've, you guys have been hearing me say it a lot. I'll just keep repeating them because we are, we are growing in this together. Guys, we value Christ as our life. We value reconciliation to God and others. We value sharing and experiencing God. We value transformational unity in Christ. We value the image of God in ourselves and others, and we value the power of prayer. May, may our ministries reflect that. May we as people reflect that. Guys, we value these things because we have this vision of being 
as loving as Christ, we value living in Christ, we value learning from Christ. Man, if we value these things, this is what we want to do. Throw it out even bigger. Who are we to be as disciples? We are to be devoted, developing, deployed followers of Christ. This, this is what we are pursuing because we believe we have the mission. We are a community together on mission, submitted to Christ, committed to disciple making. So I, I encourage you, just engage with people this week. There is a lot of hurt. There is a lot going on in our world that as we are trusting God, man, the world will get to see him in our lives. So as we close, guys, pray with me this morning. Lord Jesus, give me a deeper repentance, a horror of sin, a dread of its approach. Help me chastely to flee it and jealously to resolve that my heart shall be thine alone. Give me a deeper trust that I may lose myself to find myself in thee, the ground of my rest, the spring of my being. Give me a deeper knowledge of thyself as Savior, Master, Lord, and King. Give me deeper power in private prayer, more sweetness in thy word, more steadfast grip on its truth. Give me deeper holiness in speech, in thought, in action, and let me not seek moral virtue apart from thee. Plow deep in me, great Lord, heavenly husband, that my being may be a tilled field, the roots of grace spreading far and wide until thou alone art seen in me. Thy beauty golden like summer harvest, thy fruitfulness as autumn plenty. I have no master but thee. I have no law but thy will. I have no delight but thyself. No wealth but that thou givest, no good but that thou blessest, no peace but that thou bestowest. I am nothing but that thou makest me. I have nothing but that I receive from thee. I can be nothing but that grace adorns me. Corn me deep, dear Lord, and then fill me to overflowing with living water.